What's the real path towards self-forgiveness? Hi, welcome to another episode of Business Mindset Mastery. I'm Heather Gray. I'm a mindset and performance coach for business owners, leaders, and entrepreneurs. You can always find me over at choosetohaveitall.com. And I was asked a question recently. Somebody reached out to me for a quick check-in, and I got their permission to turn it into a podcast episode. But I was asked, what do you do, or how do you forgive yourself when you've really messed it all up? I was talking to someone who found herself in a pile of debt from really impulsive decisions, not wise financial moves. Um, Probably if we were looking at it, she was emotionally buying like some people emotionally eat. And she was sitting in a pile of credit card debt that was making it really hard for her to get where she wanted in life. It felt like for her, every dollar she spent had to go to the credit card company that if she treated herself to like even a quick takeout lunch at a Panera. Um, She felt like it was money that she could have just been putting towards her debt. So she felt like she wasn't giving herself permission to live because she was too busy sort of picking up the mess of her past. But every single day, every single night, every single morning is this thought of, I can't believe I did this to myself. How could I be so stupid? I can't believe I got myself in this hole. I'm such an idiot. And all All of the self-hating, sort of just self-sabotaging thoughts just were chronically gnawing at her. No matter how hard she worked on her debt, no matter how much she gave to paying it off, she constantly felt dumb, stupid, small, and just really, really mad at herself. And I was thinking about this because I think that the quick answer so many people say is we all screw up. We're all human. We all make mistakes. All you can do is sort of accept responsibility, own your mistakes, do your best to make amends, and then fix it and move on. I just did a podcast episode the other day about this. So it's the idea of, but what do you really do? (laughs) Because they say that in all the books and they teach you that in all the guides around self-acceptance and self-love and just give yourself a hug. But at some point in time, those those thoughts just take over. I can't believe I did this to myself. I am in my own way because I made this mess. I caused this problem. I am entirely responsible. And, you know, the interesting thing here is I think that a lot of times, you know, in a lot of these books, I hear and people talk about this idea that you shouldn't feel guilty, um, that you shouldn't operate on guilt and it, it serves nothing and it serves no one. You just need to let it go. And I actually disagree. Um, it ends up being a pretty unpopular opinion when I talk to people, particularly in the therapy world. But here's where I stand on the idea of guilt. That guilt at its core, at its original foundation, serves as our conscience, our value system that says, this is what's right for me in my life, this is the right way to move through the world, and this is left of center, and this is where it doesn't really work out, and I'm not being true to myself, and I'm not being genuine. And I think a lot of times, as soon as we make a mistake, as soon as, you know, we just sort of just mess it up somehow. Everybody's in a rush to make us feel better, to tell us it's not that bad, and to not worry about it, and it'll all be okay. I actually think that the first step for self-forgiveness 
is to tune into your guilt and your conscience. You don't live there. You don't wrap yourself in it and stay in victimhood around it. But you do tune into it to be really crystal clear with yourself. This is what it feels like when I'm impulsive on the other side of the really nice purse I just bought. This is what it feels like when I just spontaneously say something that I had no business saying. This is what it feels like when in the heat of an argument, I went for the jugular. We have to sit in our conscience because that's what's going to motivate us in the future to never do it again. It's our built-in prevent defense so that this can be the last time you have to learn this particular lesson. So the first thing that I told this woman I, you know, who I was talking to, I said, you know what, just tune into when did you not feel right about it? When did you start to feel a little buzzy about it? And she was able to say not right away. In the immediate sort of initial spending, it felt very necessary. It felt very important. It felt like she had bigger fish to fry and she was picking her battles. But then over time, she realized that she could simply get attention release from shopping. She could get a release of feeling bad and she could make this in person, you know, this quick impulsive decision, get something nice, have the anticipation of it arriving and just created a really bad cycle. But at the start of it, it didn't feel bad. So then I asked her, how many times were you feeling bad and doing it anyway in that moment? And she was able to say it had been a couple of years. So that's that's the thing that we need to tune into. The path to self-forgiveness comes with learning lessons and paying attention and being able to say hard truths. So we tune into our conscience. We say, this is what it feels like when I say something mean without thinking. This is what it feels like when I'm looking at my credit card debt, but I really want to go on vacation. This is what it feels like when somebody tells me I've hurt their feelings. And tune into that and make a promise to yourself that you're never going to feel that way again. That you're never going to, you're going to make another mistake, but you're never going to make that mistake again. And I've shared on the show before, like some of my biggest sort of professional screw ups are when I like deliver tough love and I get sarcastic or I get like really quick with a one liner. And one year and early, early in my career, when I was 22 years old and had no business holding a master's degree, I said something sarcastic to a 17 year old boy and I broke him. I watched him crumble. I It was like watching his ego kind of shattered all around him. And he was just a pile of vulnerability because I wanted to do tough love. I wanted to be real and call it out or whatever my own ego was that got in the way of delivering something so cruelly and harshly. So it's been years now. It's been 20 years now. Um, I still remember what that was and what that felt like. Every single time I'm going to lay down a truth bomb, every single time I'm going to call it out and tell somebody, what the heck are you thinking? I am always going to be a little bit aware that I have the potential to break people and I need to be careful with my word choice and how I phrase things because people are fragile and they deserve to have their feelings carefully kept. So you use the lesson 
to motivate you in the future, and you make a promise to yourself that this moment of human frailty, this moment of human impulsiveness is going to turn into better moments for other people. Because I hurt that 17-year-old boy so deeply, a lot of other people have gotten really good help from me. It should never have come at the cost of that 17-year-old. I will never sort of say that was okay and it was worth it, but it was an incredibly important lesson for me to learn, and so many people have been better for it. You might not know what's going to be better or what the lesson's going to be on the other side or what the great takeaway is going to be, but you can promise yourself that there's going to be one. And you use it for forward thinking because when you're consumed with guilt, when it's chronically, chronically on your mind, you are looking in the rear view mirror. You're looking backwards. You're looking at your past. You're looking at the version of yourself that you used to be versus the person you want to be now and the way you want to move through the world going forward. So you might not have the lesson yet. You might not have the insight yet, but you're going to make yourself a promise that from this point forward, that moment of pain, that moment of angst, or the multiple moments of pain and the multiple moments of angst are going to matter and you are going to make it count. The next thing you got to do is really do a gut check on why you think this happened, why things went off the rails, why you were impulsive, why you made the mistake, why you, uh, you know, sort of weren't true to yourself and how you moved through the world. What was sort of the scene and the background? Now, this woman had just gone through this horrible divorce and um, her husband was really super sneaky with finances and keeping money and all of that. So this whole mess that she got herself in started out with legitimate financial straits. But then at some point in time, she told herself a story that just because her husband was a jerk, just because, you know, she married the wrong guy shouldn't mean that she doesn't get to have X, Y, and Z. And she started purchasing money, purchasing things with money she didn't have and got herself into a really big hole. But she needs to learn that. Like, she needs to recognize, oh, I got mad. I got resentful. I decided I had deserve something that I hadn't quite earned and I went off and made this stupid choice or I was lonely and I didn't have a support network and I had nobody I was talking to when my husband was tricking me because I had nobody I could trust and I didn't know who knew what and who was keeping secrets for him so I kept it all to myself and my new bags and my new home accessories helped me forget about my old life and kept me company during a really lonely time. You can show yourself human compassion. You can show yourself human insight and understanding. But if you don't know how you got here, if you don't know what led to the F up, you're going to do it again because you don't have the insight to stop yourself. So part of forgiving yourself is being willing to look at it like boldly in the eyes and and really owning it. You know, and one of the things and, you know, I, I wish I could tell you that that 17 year old was the last person 
person I ever broke. It's it's not true. Like because of the fact that I've always, you know, I've sort of joked about it, but my my ability to use insight can be used for good or evil. So, you know, I always tell people like you always want me on your side because if I'm in an argument with you, I'm going to know your weak spot instinctively. I'm going to get to it and I'm going to deliver it to your jugular with a single one line and I won't bat an eyelash because I know that my greatest strength is insight and I know that turned inside out that I can use it as a weapon. And when I have, it feels so freaking good in the moment. It feels so good to be like, yeah, I just stuck it to that person. Yes, I just made my point. Yes, yes, yes. And then when I'm calm, I'm horrified with myself and I'm embarrassed. Or when I get in a fight with my husband and I slam a door because slamming doors just feel so freaking good. I then like, it feels good for like five minutes and then I'm embarrassed and I'm ashamed and I feel small because I'm the person who's so good with words. I'm the person who can communicate appropriately and I'm the person who can do it. So why didn't I just do it? And then I feel bad. I have to know that that like the impetus of that is that I get tired of being the good one all the time. I get tired of following, uh, being tired of following the rules of, you know, always like, you know, turning the other cheek or, you know, being, (laughs) you know, being my best self. Like it gets old after a while because a lot of times it feels like taking piles of crap that you don't deserve. I have to know that about myself, what leads to it so that when I catch myself feeling resentful that I'm being called upon to do, you know, to show up in a way I don't want to show up or I'm being called upon to be the more generous, open person, that's going to piss me off and I'm likely to say something I regret. Because in the moment, the temptation is just to get the release of tension. You need the self-awareness to say that's never going to be me again. Yes, I could get the quick one-liner. Yes, I can slam the door. But God, I hate myself afterwards. I like myself for like 10 seconds. I feel like, you know, like Wonder Woman just conquering the world for like all of five or seven minutes. And then I feel like a pile of crap. And so because I don't want to feel like a pile of crap, I'm going to make the hard choice now. That I know it feels unrelated to self-forgiveness, but until you have a point or until you have a purpose, until you can turn this into something different or better, it is going to eat you alive. Because the last step of this is to simply accept that it happened. That, you know, either intentionally or unintentionally, you made a really big mess of something and you have to clean it up. And that sucks and it hurts, but you don't do anybody any favors by constantly beating yourself up. You don't sort of make anything better by chronically hating yourself. Because what we've learned on this show is those negative feelings we have about ourselves, those sort of self-deprecating thoughts that we have, those are the things that lead us to making even worse impulsive decisions that force us to stay small because we don't believe that we deserve a spot on the stage or in the spotlight or, you know, we don't deserve to have our dreams come true. So, you know, part of it is recognizing like, Yes, I did this. I own it. But then you got to look at something that I think is 
really challenging for people to really like face too much. But it's this idea that one act doesn't define us. I think it's really easy. You know, I I used to say to people, like when I was growing up, I lied all the time. I lied to get attention. I lied to get out of trouble. I lied to make friends. I lied to get people to feel bad about me. I constantly, if I had a social need that I couldn't meet, I used lying and manipulation to get my needs met until it kind of came crashing down on me um, in seventh grade. I have a podcast episode about that story. It's called How I Turned Out Okay in the End, if you want to look at it, but or listen to it rather. Um, but for the longest time, I would, you know, tell people I was a liar when I was a kid. And I like I would just talk about it in my social work classes in college or I would talk to friends about it and be like, oh, you're so glad you didn't know me then. I was such a liar. I was such a liar. And that that phrase over and over again was the thing I used to define me. And I, I was in high school at one point in time um, and my my guidance counselors, you know, sort of was like, but, you know, are you ever going to look at like and show yourself compassion for why you lied um, or, you know, what you did? And and I was like, no, like I was just a horrible, like I'm embarrassed. I don't like that person. I don't want to admit it. I'm afraid to even tell you the lies I, you know, said because I'm afraid if I tell you, you won't like me. And I I wasn't in a place even in high school to do the work. So it wasn't until I was in college when I was, you know, in yet another counseling office talking to somebody and, you know, and she just sort of said, well, what were your other options? And I, I said, you know, what, what? And, and she goes, well, you lied. She's like, but you know, you're, you're saying you lied as if like you could have done something else. And I said, well, I could have told the truth. And she said, who was sitting around teaching you how to do that? And it was this, I just broke down and cried and I can get emotional just thinking about it now that so many people, um, because my mom died when I was young, so many people were just focused all the time on making me feel better on like sort of blowing like smoke and rainbows up my behind and making me feel awesome and not holding me accountable um, and not holding responsibilities on me if I got in trouble that I was figuring things out on my own. And when you're in elementary school and you're under and you're not even a double digit age yet, you don't always choose the right path. So knowing that and, and having compassion for that and understanding that helps you take care of that person, helps you nurture that person and no longer define yourself entirely by your poor actions. And I think sometimes that really is the last step because so often on our sh- on the show, you will hear me say you can't control what happens to you. You can only control what you do in response and that what really matters is what you do do. So then what obviously ends up happening is when we choose the wrong path, when we choose the sort of destructive path, the dysfunctional path, the path that goes against our conscience and against our values, it's easy to say, well, now I'm that person. And how do we allow ourselves some compassion, some humility to say, well, maybe we are, you know, a really good daughter, a really good wife, a really good this, a really good that. And maybe we're also an impulsive shopper. Um, Are we allowing ourselves to hold both? 
Are we allowing ourselves to not be fully and wholly defined by our screw-ups? Because I got to tell you, I can't tell you how many times I talk to people and one of the first things they lead with is the fact that they're divorced because that badge of failure, that badge of it didn't work out, that badge of I chose wrong suddenly becomes a defining characteristic of themselves rather than perhaps it was a characteristic of strength to get out of something that wasn't working. We have have to be really careful. We accept what we did, but then the second part of that is being crystal clear with ourselves that we don't define ourselves and we don't sum up our identity beginning, middle, and end by the bad things we do. When we go off course and we take a left and we should have taken a right. Sometimes we do dumb things. That doesn't mean we're dumb people. Sometimes, you know, we will make impulsive decisions that have lasting consequences. That doesn't mean we're any less worthwhile. It simply means we have to clean up a mess. The path of self-forgiveness isn't about just giving yourself a hug and moving on. It's about really looking at what you did and how it's made you feel, how it gave you an outcome that isn't consistent with how you want to be or how you want to move through the world, recognizing that sometimes when we're sort of dysfunctional, we hurt other people. Other people end up, you know, being the unintended consequences of our actions. So sometimes we have quite the mess to clean up because we have to fix it with ourselves and we have to fix it with other people. But we are not going to stop this from becoming a pattern or interrupt the pattern until until we really look at and understand what the heck happened and until we're ready to no longer define ourselves by the thing that we did wrong. We are all human and we have being human moments. And I think sometimes on the path of personal development, people confuse that with the path of perfection. I just want to encourage the path of humanity, of accepting ourselves as we are with the strengths and the weaknesses and the lessons and the scars and the getting up, you know, to show for it. That's, I think that's the path for self-forgiveness. And that's what I'm wishing for you today. If you are stuck on something that you just can't let go of, if you're embarrassed, if you're feeling just, you know, sort of so small and like you want to hide in a corner or run away, face it, own it, accept it, and then give yourself the grace to move on. Thanks so much for joining me for today's conversation. I really enjoyed having it with you and I look forward to talking to you next time. Bye for now.